Hey everyone, welcome back to the channel. I am honored to introduce to you my guest for today. He is one of the most recognized faces in wrestling and the biggest box office attraction in Lucha Libre history. Ladies and gentlemen, Conan. Yo, what's Hi. up? What's up, Denise? How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to have you on this podcast. I mean, you, I mean, if, it, if I'm going to talk to anybody about wrestling, I think you're definitely it. All right. Well, whatever you want to talk about. Um, uh, do you still work with X-Pac? Uh, the last time we did a show was earlier in March, kind of before COVID. So we kind of haven't done a show since then. So I think right now the podcast is sort of off. But uh, we did work together for like uh, three years. All right. Well, please tell him I said hello. I'm sure you know he was my roommate in Mexico. And uh, those are very, very, very wild times. And uh, he's one of the most beautiful people I've ever met in my life with an incredible heart. Sometimes I laugh because you know him, he's brutally honest and he'll yes. tell you stories. And I'm like, okay, TMI, too much information here, dude. <laughs> but uh, I love him to death. So please tell him what's up when you see him. I will definitely do so, honestly. So let's just go ahead and get right into it. Conan, I know you're extremely busy. You currently have several creative roles in many wrestling promotions. So let's just start off with how do you balance everything and keep everything unique and fresh? Yeah, well, I'm kind of like, a, you know, 1,000% a workaholic. We all know those. <laughs> and if I'm not working, I'm not happy. And I've been like that since I was a kid. And uh, so what I try to do is... Everywhere that I work, I make sure that I know what the promoter wants, what that market needs, what that fan base is expecting. So everything I do is in copy and paste. Everything I do does have a little bit of my flavor in it. You can tell it's me, but everything is basically whatever the promoter, that fan base, and what that, uh, that fan base taste is. So that's basically how I work. You know, so I, I don't give the same product in, like I run a promotion in Tijuana. The, what I do in Tijuana is not the same thing I do in Monterrey, because if you know Mexico, Monterrey and Tijuana would be the same as comparing, let's say, New York and California, two different vibes. So that's actually what I was going to ask you, because obviously every single promotion has different people in charge, different, different views, different opinions. How do you manage to keep everybody happy? That's very hard because what one of the main things that ruins friendships, ruins uh, uh, business relationships, everything is ego and politics. And, that, you know, it, and you could go to Starbucks and you could be working there with 10 or 15 people and there's going to be politics and there's going to be egos there. So it's everywhere. You just got to be able, you know, I've been in this long enough that there isn't a temperament. There isn't some sort of, you know, personality I haven't run into that I haven't figured a way to work with them. Because if I start getting mad at everything that people do, then I stay mad the whole day and I'm part of the problem because I haven't, you know, I have to be able to solve problems with people that I personally may not even like, but business-wise, they're good for business, you know? So, uh, and, and here's another thing that you run into a lot is like, it's almost an art to tell somebody the truth without hurting their feelings because most people can't accept the truth. They either get mad, they think you have something personally against them, they're in denial, they get offended, they can't accept it. And that therein lies the problem. And we end up, Denise, and I'm sure this has happened to you, you end up bullshitting each other because you don't want to hurt each other's feelings because everybody's so sensitive now. And that in itself is almost an art. So having to deal with different personalities, you have a lot of the younger generation now that, you know, it's really ridiculous how many mental health issues they have, you know, uh, uh, you know, and so you're dealing with a much more like I deal with when I came into the business, as you know, and I don't know how many of your listeners know, when I broke into the business, which is 30 years ago, the whole dressing was mostly older men who had been in the business 10 to 15 years. They were like grizzled veterans. And they were drinking beer in the dress room, <laughs> you know, and it was like the drug culture, you know. Then you fast forward to 2020, and what you're dealing with is very, very young kids, a lot of them immature, not really ready business-wise for what they're about to uh, you know, face, and they're not really into the drug culture. They're more to like in Snapchat videos, TikTok, uh, you know, stuff like that. You know what yeah. I'm saying? 
and uh, so, and you know, the one thing, another thing of talking about adaptability is the one thing that I do know, and this is one thing that I think, I think older guys don't understand is they don't have no respect for what the younger generation is. And then they wonder why the younger generation doesn't respect them. And I'm going to go into detail on that. Anything and everything, including social mores, social media, music, wrestling, everything. The architects is the young generation. Just like I was an architect when I was in the 90s, you know, I was doing stuff that hadn't been done. And my contemporary was doing, we, we were setting the rules and we were setting the parameters and the style for that era. Right now, it's a different breed, a different bunch, a different generation. They're setting the rules. And what I got to do is respect those rules, understand those rules, not browbeat them like, oh, you don't know what you're doing. And then use my knowledge from before, stuff that's going to work no matter what decade it is, take that experience and freshen it up with what they're doing, you know, because there is no substitute for experience. I don't care how much you read, no. how much people tell you stuff. There's nothing like actual, you know, experience, hands-on experience. Well, it's pretty interesting to me because, you know, you tell me what how it was back in the day and how it is now. And it almost seems like there was different issues that you were dealing with then and different issues that you're dealing with now. So that's pretty interesting within itself. I, I'll, even, I'll even go a different one. There were hardly zero girls in the business. And I'm not just talking wrestlers, you know, well, there were no podcasts, obviously, back then, but there weren't reporters, photographers. There was hardly any girls and definitely no Latinas. So yeah, definitely not. <laughs> right. So for me, it's cool to see women in our business. We needed that, you know, and to see some flavor, whether it's Latina, African-American or other minorities. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And I, it's funny because I've been in the media rooms and I tie a Valkyrie. I remember when we did our one of our last media scrums for impact pre-COVID, she came in and she said, where are all the women? I was the only one in that specific room. And so it is very interesting to see how things are evolving. And, you know, we're seeing more faces, which is great. But speaking of things that have been evolving right now with the current landscape, uh, given that you do work for AAA, Impact, MLW, Impact Wrestling is the only company out of those that are currently running consistently right now. With that being said, how has that changed your schedule and what you choose to focus on, given that not every company right now is running? Well, I, um, you know, they've been taking care of me because I am, you probably don't even know this, I'm like an Impact original. I was there from day one. I was there a couple of years and I left and I came back. So there's always been, I, I foster really good relationships, personal relationships, you know, with like Scott Diamore and uh, from uh, from uh, Impact, uh, Court Bauer from MLW. You know, we have real good relationships that they take care of me, you know, and like right now I'm susceptible, susceptible to COVID. So they're not having me travel, but um, they uh, like, I'm going to be doing some probably in the future Spanish commentating from my house. Oh, and nice. then they already have a project for me when I come back, when they get back, you know, with fans and all that. Yeah. Well, I can only imagine like how anticipating it is just like not, not for everybody, for the fans, for the people in the business, just to sort of get back to normal. Do you, do you think that there is going to be a normal when it comes to wrestling? Yeah, I think so. Because I think what we are seeing is, you know, they announced it yesterday. There's a vaccine coming. The CDC said it. As we all know, there's four companies that are in the third phase of, of trials. That's the last trial before, you know, mass consumption. The whole world's working on this. So we're going to have a vaccination. I mean, what's very weird to me is there's actually people they, that are called anti-vaxxers that are like, yeah, yes. we're not going to take it. It's like, really? So let me see if I got this right. You, there's a possibility you're going to get a highly contagious disease but you don't want to get rid of it with a vaccine because there's this supposed story that, you know, it causes autism and other BSs. So how about, how about the vaccines that got rid of the measles and mumps and chip? What was that BS too? It's incredible to me, the amount of, this is what happens. Uh, see, see if you feel me on this, Denise. Everybody knows the political system's broken. Everybody knows this is a work. Everybody knows that the rich get richer. Everybody knows there's an elite that runs everything. That's a given. We know that politics, politicians, we wonder why it's broken. I'll tell you why. Because hardly nobody votes. How old are you? Uh, 28. How many times have you voted? 
I voted, I think, three times now or twice in my life. Okay, I've never voted and I never will. Uh, and so at the end of the day, you have a lot of people that don't vote, okay? Because once those people get in office, the only people they care about is who contributed to their campaign. So they're gonna take care of them first. Then they're gonna figure out, okay, I got four years to do business, steal money, uh, get a job as a lobbyist, hook up my friends. So that whole thing, all of them, they're just hooking themselves up for themselves, corporations, how much money can I get from pharma? How much money can I get from, you know, this Lockheed? And everybody's just making bank and doing business. And bro, they don't even care about us. They always bail out the banks. They don't bail us out. They don't bail us out. So it's a humongous work. You know and I, I feel like we're seeing that. I mean, just like full front and center. That's what we've been seeing with the landscape of politics. I feel like if anything, we're seeing how different people are and not even just people that are far away. I'm talking family members, close friends. Suddenly with everything that's going on, you're starting to see how different people can be. I mean, even the fact that just putting a cloth on your face is a big, you know, some people just completely freaked out about it. And it's just very interesting to see where we're at right now with all of that so like for example your generation when you're looking at these people just uh, when you're looking at these people that are supposedly part of the blm movement yet they're mostly white what do you think when you see that well it's interesting because i feel like sometimes a lot of the rules are being put upon us uh from my personal experience from people that don't necessarily experience it uh i know when i was one of the things that came in for the speaking for the latino community i know one of the major things that was starting up was latinx and that started being a thing and i remember it just being like thrown thrown into us and i started thinking when when did we all get a vote in this when did we all gonna say that all of a sudden we're not latinos anymore we're latinx and i remember being very confused about that and i posted something on facebook which by the way is not always the greatest thing but right. everybody that responded to me was not latino and they were all the ones that were completely for it and i found it very confusing because of you know you obviously spanish you have words that are masculine words that are feminine that's just the way that it is uh so it's that's one of the things that i have noticed but i think that there are some people that maybe have woken up with all of this in terms of like the black lives matter movement you're starting to realize that maybe there was the one thing that i realized that i read and put it into perspective and it was um it was, a, I forgot which comedian, but he basically said, uh, would you trade places with me? And he was a black community, a, a black comedian. He said, would you trade places with me? And not one person said yes. And he basically said, and I'm rich, but because I'm black, you would not trade places with me. And it was pretty interesting. That's to very sad. That and, in perspective. Right. And that's very sad because it's very true. And, and not just him, a minority in this country, you know what I'm saying? I mean, Mexican, you know, it ain't like they're getting any free passes or, no. you know what I'm saying? And even like when my mom came here, because my mom is Cuban, my dad is Puerto Rican. And like when I remember as a little boy in Miami, I was too young to understand it, to get mad at the time. But as I got older, I was pissed. You know, you'd go to places and it would say, no pets, no Cubans. Uh, wow. Really? Yeah. But, um. The last question I want to ask you about this, do you think that maybe the BLM uh, movement, a lot of people have taken advantage of it and they're like provocateurs and maybe Antifa guys just starting to trying to rouse stuff up so there's more violence on the street or no? Well, I was I was watching those videos when all the riots were going on, and it was very unfortunate that people were sharing kind of not conspiracy videos, but videos where they were showing uh, whether it was white people. Or there was a video specifically. There was a video of cops telling this woman how to tag graffiti on the wall. I remember seeing that. There was the whole thing about the bricks where the cops were setting up the bricks, and yeah, I just I thought that. to myself, this can't be real. Like, is this real life right now? And so obviously when you see stuff, like that you have to think that there are some people that want to twist the narrative of you know these peaceful protesters and i know people who protest who, who went and protested and said it was peaceful and then uh you know you go on the news and you're seeing the most awful hor horrendous things and because think about this imagine a guy that wants to start strife right and he dresses up as a as a cop and he's putting bricks on a thing and somebody's filming oh look at this cop putting bricks but it's all you know what I'm saying? Manipulate. Yes. Yes. You just don't know anymore.
Yeah. Yeah. It's really sad. It's really scary. I think my train of thought is just like, listen to your gut, trust what you know, and just listen to all the facts because nowadays, like a lot of people don't listen to the facts. And that's right. my biggest issue. I'm like, you can have whatever opinion you have, well, but not just, make not sure just, you have the facts. Not, not just that, Denise. Now there's a concerted effort to put out misinformation and disinformation and that in itself. So now when I read stuff, anything I read, I have to like before you could just read something, go, okay, that's that's it. And I have to read, cross-reference it, and then cross-reference it again to make sure this guy is like, really? <laughs> Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I feel you 100% yeah. on that. It's, it's it's a really crazy time right now that we're living in. Uh, with yep. that being said, uh, switching gears to AAA, what, do you have any idea when they're going to be returning and doing shows, given that I know CMLL is going to be doing their anniversary show later this month? Yeah, um, I think, you know, this is nothing official. I, I had said that I think it would be that we might do something in October, but that's just me with no... I've, I haven't been given any official date, but I think by the end of the year, for sure, everybody's going to be running again, especially if, like they're saying in November, there will be a vaccine. Right, right. And okay, so pre-pandemic, I mean, right. there's so there's so many talents in Mexico that I just think were pretty much about to break out. But who are some of the stars that you thought were about to break out uh, in Mexico and in the United States? Well, we had a lot of, uh, this was one of our greatest years ever in every metric that you can measure success. And so, you know, I think the next big star that's gonna come, that's gonna pop off in the United States, like Pentagon and Phoenix and Ray and guys like that, Obijo the Vikingo, that kid's in a whole nother level, very humble kid. Yeah, he's incredible. Another guy that uh, actually Cody Rhodes liked a lot when he was here with AEW, he wears a bull's head, Taurus. Um, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, yeah. Um, the girls, you know, Lady Maravilla, Yedra, um, you know, they're just on a whole nother level. And what I'm doing now is I'm training, I'm having a couple girls train because you've never seen, if you think about it, you've never seen high flying girls. Like you don't see really girls doing 450s and stuff like that that much. So I'm starting the first generation of girls that can fly, you know, because I told them, the first girl that can fly is going to make a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I can't even imagine. I mean, I mean, I could imagine it, but it's just very exciting to hear that. And yeah. going back, I mean, one of the people that I automatically, I was like hoping you would say was Hijo del Vikingo, because I mean, I've seen him wrestle yeah. and I've seen him do stuff where I'm like, I did not even realize that that was a possibility that the human body can even do that. Right. Plus the, the greatest part about him, because you know, like anything else, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you're difficult to deal with or you don't have your feet on the ground, those two things, you know, wreck more careers than just about anything else, probably even more than injuries. But uh, he's very, very humble, and that's going to help him get very far. But, um, you know, uh, there's this girl called Chica Tormenta. She just had a baby, so she hadn't been on for a couple months. She is, she feels like she was a guy. She's incredible. And um, uh, uh, there's this kid called Nino Hamburguesa. He's oh, yeah, like I know a, him. yeah, he's hilarious. Everybody loves him. Uh, we have a lot of talent. You know, we have a lot of talent. So I'm, I'm, we've been very blessed. This was, an, like I said, this was an incredible year. Those are some of the people I see breaking out in the United States, like an MLW. I think that whole Injustice crew is really good. That Jordan and uh, Myron Reed. And uh, I think over there, like in um, uh, oh, Fatu is incredible. Oh yes! Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've been—I was able to see him work live, and I just yeah. thought, man, this guy is impressive. There's certain guys when you're watching them wrestle. There's a difference between watching them wrestle on TV and watching them wrestle in person. And he was one of those people where I was like taken aback, where it was immediate, instant. I'm a fan. Yeah, yeah, and you know, one guy that the, the, one look at him, everybody knows he's going to be a star. But I first saw him in MLW, and now he's in AEW MJF, who's incredible. And, um, you know, when you look at an impact, you know, the rascals, all three of them individually are together. Trey Miguel, you know, my boy, Zachary Wentz, uh, Xavier, those guys are just bad. Ace Austin, he's a young cat who's, you know, doing his thing. Uh, what's this girl? Kylie Ray. Um, oh, yeah. Now, let me tell you about Kylie Ray because I worked with her before. So she was trained in Lucha Libre. And her boyfriend's Mexican, so she can go. Uh, and 
uh, Kylie Ray, really good. The girl that just came in, Donna Perrazzo. Donna Perrazzo, right? I'd never seen her before. And my girl, Taya, that's, you know, my little sister right there. She's just all sorts of charisma, you know, with her wacky outfits yeah. that are extravagant. You know, I like all that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And obviously you've mentored some of the best of the best when it comes to wrestlers. What does the talent have to do or have to do or have to have to draw your attention in order for you to take the time to invest in them? Um, well, you know, the first thing is you can discover somebody, but if you don't cultivate them and you don't help them grow, that's you just discovered them. So I just basically look for talent. And uh, once I've identified that talent, I cultivate it. I'll tell them, watch this tape, do this in the match, did this, did that in the match, you know, whatever it takes to help them grow. And as long as they have a real good attitude and they're professional, that's really all I need, you know. And, and then if I feel a good connection with them, that's why almost everybody that I have, um, you know, helped in the business, we still have a really good relationship to this day. And speaking of young talent, your right. godson, Dominic, is currently right. being featured heavily on WWE programming. What have been your thoughts in regards to his performance? That's very weird because I was talking with Ray, his dad, the other day, and I was like, I was like, can you imagine if your first match would have been in SummerSlam or mine? I don't think we would have done that well. I just, but the thing with Dominic is, and you meet people like this all the time. Dominic is really, he doesn't get nervous. He doesn't like, he doesn't really sweat it. He's that dude that's like, you know, even he was at my house and he was showing me when they caned him and all that. And I was like, bro, are you ready for your next match? He was like, yeah, but he wasn't like really nervous or like you, you would expect, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, that's crazy because you do hear of people doing that, but I can't imagine not at least having a little bit of Oh, nerves. I would have been super nervous. I was super nervous in my first match, you know, when I debuted and because I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, I can't even imagine, you know, debuting in SummerSlam. And he did, and he did a good job. Seth Rollins led him to a good match. His dad was outside coaching him. So he kind of had training wheels on, but he's had three matches and he's looked good in all three, you know. Yeah, and here's the thing, though, is that obviously with Rey Mysterio being his dad, you know there's going to be an immense amount of pressure on him and all eyeballs judging and whatnot. Yeah. You, you always have higher stakes, right, when you have someone like Rey Mysterio as your dad. What advice did you give to him maybe earlier on in his career when he first started training? Uh, just, you know, this is something Ray wanted for a long time. So I was like, bro, you have no idea because Ray is like – Pac, the sweetest guy you could ever, ever meet. And, uh, you know, and I was like, bro, you have such a beautiful dad. And the only thing he ever wanted for you to do was to wrestle. And now you're, now you're giving it to him because he didn't decide to wrestle till like a couple years ago. He wanted to play football and do other stuff. And, uh, and I said, okay, so now, you know, there's a lot of pressure on you. People aren't just good. You know, people, people are going to expect more of you because you're Ray Mysterio Jr. Okay. Just, the main thing is train and stay humble. And so what he did is he went to he went to a Jay Lethal in Florida to train. Then he went with Lance Storm to train. Then he trained with me in Phoenix here in San Diego and his dad and this other guy called B-Boy. And he was just training and training and watching tapes. And every time I talked to him, you could see he was more serious and more serious and working out and watching tapes and asking me about matches. And I was like, okay, this guy's getting the fever. That's good. That's real good. And, but my main thing was humble. And he always tells me, make sure you keep me humble. And I'm like, oh, I will. Because when I was young, I wasn't, I got famous real quick and I wasn't humble. So, you know, yeah. So keep it there. Exactly. Right. And now also some of the guys that I do have to mention, because you've also mentored them as well. We have Santana, Ortiz, Phoenix, Pentagon Jr., who are all a part of AEW now. Uh, what have been your overall thoughts on their performance on AEW and then as well as the AEW product itself? Yeah, they're good. I don't think they've been used. I mean, I don't think uh, they're both great. Pentagon and Phoenix are incredible as people and as wrestlers. I mean, <clears throat> you you know, you know how popular they are. And uh, Santana and Ortiz, you know, whole different thing. They're from New York, New, New Ricans, you know. And, uh, you know, seeing them grow was so beautiful, too. Just getting two guys that nobody knew who they were. Same thing with Pentagon and Phoenix. When I first met them, 
they were so desolate. I thought they were like uh, like kids from like the street. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. And, uh, and so, you know, it was very fulfilling for me that you don't know if they're going to be great, good, or how they're going to be, but that these people that I invested so much time into ended up being somebody. And that's very fulfilling for me. And, you know, I think that they're both super talented. It's very weird to me that in AEW, I don't think they're really being used to the best of their ability because whatever they have Pentagon and uh, Phoenix doing now, they just stuck them like in – did you see AEW yesterday? I did. I did. Okay, so if you notice, they, bro, that was like a cluster F. They it was a every, lot of guys couldn't yeah. keep track of everybody right. that was in there. It almost felt like, okay – we have all these guys. We don't really have anything for them yet. Fuck it. Let's just do something with them all together and just throw them in the ring. With It was just, you know, and Pentagon and Phoenix are on a whole nother level. They really are, you know. And uh, same thing with Santana and uh, Ortiz. I personally, I'm not feeling this thing they're doing with the best friends. Right. But other people do like it. I don't. I know they could be used in, in another capacity. So I would say they haven't been used to the best of capacity. But I would also say the same thing with Kenny Omega. Because I'll tell you what, if you're a fan and you're and they tell you, hey, see that guy that's an AEW, that's supposedly one of the best or the best technical wrestler in the world. He doesn't really come off like that. Now, I'm just gonna show you a big difference. Doesn't mean I'm smarter or I'm better or nothing like that. I'm just gonna show you a right. difference. So when Kenny Omega comes to Mexico, he's the AAA champion. So what we do is we put him against the best wrestlers in Mexico, whether it's Dragon Lee, who's incredible. He's with New Japan, Russia's brother, or with Phoenix. or, And we let him go out there, tell his story, be a rock star, do a 30-minute great match with false finishes. And, that, and the people react to him, and I'm not kidding, like a rock star. Because you're magnifying his star right. power. That's right. exactly what's being said. And that right. was one of my things, too, where I felt that Kenny had this huge buzz, you know, in New Japan. He was IWGP champion. And I personally felt that his reign could have been, you know, a lot different. So I was kind of hoping that maybe AEW would sort of focus around him and sort of, you know, just really uh, do what you just said right now, magnify that star power in him. And I have the same opinion, too, in regards to Santana Ortiz, because they're my Personally, they're my favorite tag team. And the work that I saw them do in Impact Wrestling, I mean, I just thought consistently they were having matches, not just matches of the night, but matches of the year candidates there. And I don't necessarily feel, and I'm speaking from a fan's perspective, that right. we are seeing that uh, that we're showcased not. on AEW. We're not. we're not. And, you know, and not only that, then at the end they were doing killer promos and we had that killer feud against the OGs, Hernandez and Homicide. That was dope. Like everything we're doing was really good and, and they just haven't been able to capitalize on that. And, you know, it's their first year. They've never written TV and, you know, there's a lot, but they should be used better. There should be no excuse for the, you know, why Kenny, LAX or Proud and Powerful and uh, the Lucha Brothers aren't being used in a better capacity because those guys are studs straight yes. up. Yes. Yeah. And, and given your history as a driving force in for AAA when it first started, right. uh, for as a young company for for AEW, I mean, what do you think that they could improve on? You know, aside from highlighting the guys that you just mentioned. Well, I think uh, they're doing they're finally doing something about the women's division, which I thought was not good at all. I thought NXT just pff, is head and shoulders. Any really, all the women in WWE were head and shoulders. Now they're starting to bring in. A couple talents, but they're still off from where they need to be. I don't know why they're against intergender wrestling because I do that a lot in Mexico and it's tremendous. It's great stuff. Um, uh, I think they they do a really bad job of building heat on their heels. Um, I'll give you an example. Cage came in, they beat him immediately. Lance Archer came in, they beat him immediately. Uh, this Brody Lee came in, they beat him immediately. Now they kind of rehabilitated Brody Lee by giving him the title, but they wouldn't have had to do that if they wouldn't have beaten him at the beginning. You know, you got to build these guys up, build them up, build them up, get victories, get victories. Then you beat them. You don't beat them just coming in because they already have a loss. You know? Right, exactly. Yeah. And obviously, you know, speaking of the women and Mexico and all of that, I mean – you see them as a focus and people are talking about them and they're being talked about nonstop. 
what do you think was the issue with AEW? Because I know people were saying like, A, they're not being given amount of time. B, the other option is they're too green. What is it about the women's division that hasn't necessarily stuck yet and made an impact like the women's division in Impact Wrestling and WWE, just as a small example? I think they had a lot of, they had the wrong women. They had a lot of women that weren't that good. And I know that's not cool to say nowadays, you know, but it's true. Just like there's guys that aren't good. And I'll tell you something. You can ask Taya. You know, Taya was in the very first ever woman in a main event in Mexico. You know, I put her in that match, and she deserved it. And so did so did her opponent, this uh, Japanese Mexican called Ayako Hamada. You know, and so I'm always like, yo, if the girls are putting on good performances, they get rewarded. There's, you know what I'm saying, but they have to put on good performances. And I just felt in AEW they didn't have the right women. You know, and they're when it comes, to, they're starting to get some girls, but they still yeah. need more. You know, I, oh, yeah. I think that Taya Conti's good. I think that uh, uh, Thunder Rose is good. Um, you know, so they're starting to get a couple girls in there that are good. And, you know, speaking of intergender wrestling, too, it seems that here in the U.S., a lot of people are still very, very strongly opposed to doing it. Do you think it's the mentality? Do you like what is it that can be That's done so differently? That is so ridiculous. I'll tell you the argument I hear in Mexico, and it's kind of the argument I hear in the United States. In Mexico is, oh, because it promotes violence against women. I go, okay, so then do the X-Men promote violence against women or the Avengers? I mean, it's entertainment, dude. Right. You no, know, it's almost like when somebody goes, oh, in a real fight, would you hit somebody with a rolling clothesline? It's not a real fight. It's a wrestling match, and it's not real, and everybody knows it's not real. It's entertainment. So in Mexico, their thing is, oh, it fosters violence. Where really, if you watch the way I do intergender matches, it's very entertaining. It's fun. You, you, you make the girls look good. The guys aren't really roughing them up. They just get a little bit of heat on them. So people get mad. You know what I'm saying? We're, I'm there entertaining them, you know? Exactly. And so, and in the United States, I've talked to promoters where I work and I'm like, bro, why aren't you putting intergender matches on? You could do this. You can do this. You can do this. You, oh no, I, I don't know. You know, and I think they feel like they're going to get heat from some segment of, of the, of the fan base, but they're, I mean, it's way overdue. I really, they did it in Lucha Underground. Lucha Underground got it from AAA. And it was really exciting, the things that you can do. You know what I'm saying? But for some reason, I, I don't know why they don't, they don't do it. Do you think social media is partly to blame for a lot of the things that maybe promoters aren't willing to do yeah. or willing to give a chance because 1, they might be afraid? Right, 1,000%. Because everybody's always testing the win. Let me see what they, look, <laughs> this is hilarious. And you, when I'm, every time when a match is over, five minutes, everybody's on their phone to see <laughs> if they're putting them over and they're showing each other, you know, and so they're getting hyped up and gassed up, you know, by fans. Oh, you're the best. You're the, oh, you're the best. And they think they really are. But at the same time, you know, oh, you shouldn't have done this. And then, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done it. And then another person chimes in. Yeah, you shouldn't have done that. Why do you do that? Now this person. And you should see some of the stars and their big names that they cry when they read stuff, you know, on here. And I'm like, bro, you don't know them. You're never going to meet them. They're probably trolling you. Why are you listening to them? But they do, you know. And I'll give you an example. AW, they live and they die by their fan base because they're like a progressive company. Right. So, for every tweet that Tony Khan sends out, and I got nothing. Tony's always been cool with me, so let me just throw that out there. But for every tweet that Tony Khan throws out there to kind of like rile up his base, yeah, Hulk Hogan will never work here. Everybody gets happy. His wife will never work here. Everybody gets happy. Well, that same fan base is, took him to task when Sammy Guevara said something, I don't know how many years ago, that had nothing to do with the company over some guy who was pissed off at Sammy. Okay, and then whatever Excalibur did, you know what I'm saying? Right. You have to now those same questions that you're rah rahing to with, we're never gonna let Hogan here and all these other, they're the same guys that are gonna take you for task if you don't, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. when you're, and so you live and you die by that, yeah. 
And there's been other things too where you can see that, like you just mentioned, an example of that was the Hulk Hogan thing where, oh, you, you're, you're banned, your wife is banned, whatever, right? And then there was the whole thing most recently with Jericho who did the uh, the performance at Sturgis during right. COVID. And a lot of people were very upset at the fact that there was no mask, no social distancing and all of that. And there were, from what I know of, no repercussions. So it kind of seems like, you know, I think oh, people are noticing that. There's there a double. isn't fair rules. Yeah, well, that's everywhere. There's a double and Arn Anderson used to say this and I used to pop all the time. He used to say there's double and triple standards. And that's also true. And at the end of the day, there's standards for everybody, you know, and they're going to. And this is what happens nowadays, Denise, because I've seen it happen in every single company I've worked for. When that speaking out or what was that thing speaking called? Speaking out movement, yes. Speaking out yeah. me, and, okay. me, and the Me Too. There was a Me Too movement that was general, and then there was a right. the speaking out movement as well. Really? When you really think about it, not that many people got affected by it. Maybe Joey Ryan, maybe David Starr, maybe Marty Scroll. Not that many people. And there's a lot of stories out there. A lot of people ducked bullets, okay? And what happens is companies now, what they do is, they just wait till things blow over. Nobody yes. said anything. They didn't make a big, eh, we got away with it. And that's what they do. And people now forgot about it and they're on to something else. You know, one week Marty Gennetti said he killed somebody. The next week Velveteen <laughs> Dream is being told that, you know, you know what I'm saying? So they're just yes. on to the next gossip, whatever's more, more interesting, you know. And if people don't take companies a task, they'll just wait it out. And that's unfortunate because it I is. think. There are some examples where, you know, with Velveteen Dream, for example, people were very, very upset about that. And there are a lot of cases where I do think that there should be some sort of, you know, repercussion for whatever it is that was done. And uh, the only bad look, and I'm not that well informed on the Velveteen Dream thing, is I read this and I don't know how true it is. But if it is true, this is a bad look that I guess. Hunter had said, yeah, we've already done an internal investigation and we're like happy with the results or whatever he said, right? They didn't find anything essentially. Right. And then one guy goes, well, I'm one of the accusers. They never talked to me. And I'm like, well, if you're doing a thorough investigation, shouldn't you be talking to all the accusers? Exactly. So that, that, if it's true, I was like, that's not a good look. Well, that was definitely one of the things that people were bringing up. And I think it's more of the case of, okay, you looked into it. So I think people want to know what is it that you found and why was it, you know, X'd out and, you know, no one paid any further attention to yeah. that. And I think that's what people want. It was more details, more information. Well, and not just that. Here's another thing. And I'm not judging anything, but believe me, I am not judging anybody. I'm just saying the facts as they are. It's not a good look because there's this guy. I don't know if you know him. Do you know this guy? He's from London. He's uh, his name is Bill Body. No, I don't know him. Okay, he's got this thing called the Dirty Sheets. It's like a, like a, like an observer. Okay? okay. So I have a podcast. Okay, with Disco Inferno. Do you know Disco? Yeah, I do. All right. So I have a podcast with him, and Disco introduced me to him, and uh, he came on the show. What was I telling you before that, Denise? What was the point I wanted to make? Um, oh, that you were talking about, you were talking about Velveteen Dream, and then we moved on. Oh, to, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So Bill Body came on the show, and he said, I investigated the whole Velveteen Dream thing. He said, at the end of the day, there is a law in Florida that protects him. That's what he told me. And I told him, okay, maybe there is a law that protects him. But just like Marty Scroll supposedly was with some underage girl, and in England, I guess that isn't against the law. The age limit it, was, uh, right. was, was, was right. different. It yeah. looks bad. It looks bad. At the end of the day, the fact that you were able to circumvent the law and get away with something doesn't mean it doesn't look good. You know what I'm saying? Right. No, I, mean, I agree with that. I just think that. I think that people react differently to different things depending on whether or not it suits them or whether or not it's their right. favorite wrestler or their right. favorite company. And right. so people sort of bend the rules and it puts you in a very icky situation because the second you speak out about something, you got to speak out about everything. And this goes for everybody. Like this right. goes for me and you, we go out there and we defend something. And then our favorite person goes and does it and you're like, oh, now I got to, you know, and let me tell you what happens. And it's probably happened to you and me too. Somebody that we like, something happens bad to them and you feel bad because when you like somebody, uh, you know, 
no matter what they do, you kind of still like them, you know, and if, and if right. there's somebody you don't like, it doesn't matter what they do. You don't like them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, you know. Yes, that's definitely true. Oh man. I mean, social media world is crazy. All right. Um, I do want to go ahead and talk to you because I feel we have to talk about right. impact wrestling because they have been having a lot of new buzz around them. They've been signing a lot of new talents. Uh, what are your thoughts in regards to how their product has been evolving? No, they've done a great job of, uh, you know, think of all the people. They lost, you know, Proud and Powerful. They lost, you know, Santana. They, they've lost so many people, and they still, you know, keep coming out with good content. The problem is right now there's not a lot of big stars out there, you know, name value stars. Everybody's kind of hemmed them up, you know. Right. So right. they just get away with having good matches, having good segments, you know. And I, I like I like the impact show, you know. I mean, I don't know all of the talent, like I've never seen Donna Perrazzo before. Mm -hmm. I'd never really seen Navea, I guess that's her name. Yeah, Navea. Yeah, I'd never seen her. I'd heard of her, but I'd never really seen her. I'd never really seen Tasha Steeles, is that her name? Yes. I'd never I'd heard of her, but I'd never really seen her. So there's a lot of new people even I'd never seen. You know what I'm saying? So it's pretty cool. You know, I like Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson as people. I think they're cool dudes. You know, they get it. You know, they're there to help the company. And uh, it's a cool, it's a real cool uh, uh, um, atmosphere backstage. That's what I've been hearing a lot from the talent. That's been the main thing where I've spoken to people and they've said, you know, I've been here from the beginning, the first, you know, the first early re regimes of impact. And it was not, the locker room was so different from what it is now. Yeah. And it seems to be a very common thing that I've been hearing. Yes. Yeah. It just used to be very toxic. And a lot of it had to do with mismanagement and the way tr wrestlers were treated. You treat wrestlers, they start getting mad, you know, the locker room morale suffers. So, you know, uh, it's just a, and like I said, now the, and another thing, we don't have any drug issues, you know, back then huge usage of drugs, you know, it's crazy. I wonder what caused that shift. I, I almost feel like maybe I know just what caused way, it. I what know is exactly the shift? What caused it? When Eddie died, when Eddie and Pillman and all these guys started to die, the young cats were like, F that I don't want to die. You know, it's almost like when I was a kid, I remember that, you know, I don't know how many of these people you've heard of, but I'm sure you've heard of Jimi Hendrix, right? Yes, of course. And Janis Joplin. Yes. So all these people were dying of drugs. Elvis Presley, you know, and I was like, wow, why would I take drugs? You know, it's going to kill you. So I was kind of afraid at a very young age of drugs. And I think when they saw, you know, Pillman, Mr. Perfect, you know, Eddie, all these people dying from you know, drug usage and drug abuse and stuff like that. And then they started doing, and here was another thing. Then WWE started testing people. They weren't really testing people before. Now they were fining you, suspending you and firing you where before they weren't telling you to do it, but it was like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was kind of tacit approval. If you look big, you're going to get pushed. And the only way you're going to look big is to take steroids, you know, but you've got these guys on the road, you know, two, 300 times, you know, uh, a year, you know, getting up early, going to sleep late, full of adrenaline, partying, you know, so everybody was doing something, you know, I actually heard that they're probably going to do away with house shows or curtail them a lot. You know, so obviously, you know, we're talking about impact and we're talking about the major difference in the locker room and all of that. What would you say impact has to do to sort of stand out from their competitors like AEW, like WWE, especially because right now there is so much wrestling and people are really picking and choosing what they want to watch. Yeah, that is very, very hard because see the one, the one advantage that I have is that I promote Lucha Libre and nobody else does, you know, people bring Mexican wrestlers, but they don't really do Lucha Libre. And so um, it's very hard to do anything different than anybody else is doing. I think they need to get on bigger networks to have a bigger platform, you know, and, uh, and that's about it because MLW, you know, they do a great job with storytelling. They do a great job with finding talent. Impact does the same thing. I just think they need bigger platforms. I mean, how many people have BN sports? Exactly. Not, not very many people. How many people watch Axis. 
I mean, more than Destination Pop or whatever they were on before, but you know, Destination America. I think was yeah. that the Hunting Channel. I, I don't yeah, even right. remember right. anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, but I mean, because that was one of the things that I was just having a conversation with a friend where it was like, I remember when Impact was get when you know when they were on Spike TV, and even if they changed channels, like first, you know, there was a sporting event. No matter what, they would always get that dedicated like 1.3 million uh, viewers, even if it was Christmas, if it was Thanksgiving. But the whole changing the network thing, I think, was really the downfall. Oh, of course, of course, that means a lot, you know, and so I think that hurts them a lot. That. You know, I think the day they get on a bigger network, obviously they'll have more TV rights money, which will give them money to hire, you know, more talent. You know what I'm saying? But that's pro and and here's the other problem that Impact and MLW has, and so does AAA. Anytime AEW WWE wants one of our wrestlers, they just wait till their contracts over and they get them. Yeah. Who's gonna say no to more money? No one. No. So and and that used to be a problem. Paulie used to have an ECW. You know, you know, they just they just took all this talent. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. Especially like even like pre-COVID, we were starting to see the independent wrestling scene dry off. Why? Because everybody was getting taken someplace left and right, which is great for the talent, obviously. Because but think about think about this. Here, here's a problem that poor MLW and Impact have. We have it too, but not as bad as them. So let's say we invested, we signed somebody up for three years, right? And we invested three years in them and they're really hot, you know, they're, and then AEW comes and they take them or WWE comes in. Now you got to get another guy and get them hot for three years. And people kind of know that at, at that last year, somebody's going to take them. And that's what, that's, that's the harsh reality of it. Yeah, it really, it really is. So now, Conan, I want to go ahead and ask you one last question before we move into our lightning round. So, you know, you could say that your whole adult life has revolved around wrestling. You watch it, you work in it, you talk about the product. How do you remain so passionate about it, given that so many people have lost interest? Um, it's been very hard for me because I've lost a lot of interest in it, too. But um, I hopefully and I cannot get into details, will one day be able to do what I always wanted to do in the United States, which is do Lucha, you know, and uh, with my vision, with my storylines, and, uh, and I'm, I'm really happy about that. But it's very hard to get into because you just see, th this is what I see. I see a lot of people that are in the business that aren't ready for the spot they've been given. They're like, um, they're still too green. I see a lot of things that, you know, lazy booking, lazy writing, things that they could tweak, that they could, you know, because let me put it to this way. There's no show, okay, on TV that is as bad as wrestling that I would continue to watch if it wasn't wrestling. You know, I just keep watching wrestling because you know, I'm always looking for talent. I'm always looking for ideas. I'm always seeing what everybody's doing, but it's, it's not that exciting for me anymore. There's not, there's, there's, you know, like there's some stuff I like from probably the show I like the most. I don't know. I like NXT. I like impact. I like MLW, but there's not, they all have stuff that I don't like, you know, right. there's not like something that I, it isn't like when I'm watching games of throne and I like everything, or like when <laughs> I was watching sons of anarchy, like I liked everything. You know, like, I'm always like, how is it possible that this show can have so many bad things, but that one thing right there is so dope? Why isn't everything dope? You know what I'm saying? It's very, very, very weird. What What do you like the most out of all the wrestling that you watch? Because you obviously consume a right. lot. So I, I honestly, I personally enjoy when I watch New Japan the most. Right. Mainly because I really just like the caliber of matches that they put on. I just feel that nobody else is really putting those type of caliber nobody, matches. Nobody. nobody. And those are the ones that I don't have to try hard to study the psychology of the match. I, it automatically grabs my attention where I don't have to like fight to get the attention because here's the problem that I've, you know, I've come across where you have one great wrestler that you love and you have one great wrestler that you love and then they're paired, they paired up and they don't necessarily have the match that necessarily, you know, causes fireworks in your head. And so 
I feel like usually when I watch New Japan, I get that even if it's talent that I don't know, even if it's a wrestler that I don't really know about, I'll enjoy what they do. But I also, and see, I, w- I grew up a WWE fan. So, you know, you have people that grow up a certain fan of a certain promotion. You sort of remain loyal to that right. company. And so I've been a consistent, loyal WWE fan. And yeah, there are certain things that I don't like, but I almost feel like I judge it differently just because of that loyalty behind it. But let me ask you a question. When did you start watching WWE? How old were you? I was around eight, nine years old when I started watching. So what year was this? uh, I'm thinking like 2000, 2001. Oh, so you got to see a lot of great guys. You got to see Benoit and Eddie and Edge and all those guys. Yeah, of course. So what do you see different from that era and this era that you like and you don't like? Uh, I would say the matches. I would say that I ha- I remember just liking so much, so much more of the matches that were done before and a lot more larger than life characters. I felt that the, the characters were more grand and uh, now that some of them don't feel like that, yeah, they don't feel larger than life. And I feel that that's one of the things that I personally am drawn to wrestling is not just, you know, the, the, the in-ring work, but also the personas and the characters. And I wanted to feel like, you know, like that big celebrity, you know, moment. Right. And it's kind of weird. And I don't say this in a derogatory manner because I have a lot of nerd friends, but it almost feels to me like nerd, like the nerd culture is like the big fans of wrestling right now. And like a lot of wrestlers are kind of nerds and they present them kind of nerdy fashion. Would you agree with any of that or no? I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say nerdy fashion. I just don't think that any, that there are, there's, it's, there are select guys that are screaming superstar to me. You know, there's people like The Rock that scream superstar. There's people like Jericho that scream superstar. And I feel that we're not necessarily seeing that with every single person. Or it's more rare to see guys like that, uh, you know, in wrestling. Well, I'll tell you one that screams superstar, Kevin Carrion Cro- Cross in NXT. Oh, yes. Yes. I. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's amazing. I mean, I, yeah. I, I got to talk to him at Expo Lucha, and I was just like, then this, this was before he was signed. I was just like, man, this guy is going to be a star. Just his demeanor alone. Right, right. Guards is another guy. Oh, yeah. So so very, very uh, easy, easily likable and very charming. Very gets over really fast, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I work with both of them in Mexico. Real good, real good guys. Awesome. Uh, Conan, let's go ahead and move on to the lightning round. So this is sort of like the fun portion where I ask you like all these silly questions and uh, you just go ahead and answer them however you choose. I thought the the ones you asked me before were the silly ones. All right. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, these are the the extra silly ones. All right, right. here we go. Let's go ahead and get into it. Are you guys ready for a lightning round with Conan? Yo, let's do it. Boom. Yes. Question number one. What is your favorite piece of memorabilia that you have from your career? Uh, I have this flag that they gave to me when I went to L.A. And we had broken a 25-year gate record where we drew like 17,000 people and we left 8,000 people. This is documented. This is not me. Was it LA Sports Arena? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, I I actually have that in my notes, yes. And uh, it was ridiculous. We broke a 25-year-old gate record. We never expected it. We didn't know if we we were going to be half full or three-fourths full or what what it was going to be. It was full with 8,000 people outside. That was incredible. So I have that, and that, that means a lot to me. That's awesome. Uh, well, because I was I was looking up some of those facts for that, and it was uh, when worlds collide. Is correct? Uh, probably when probably might have been the one right before when worlds collide. It's called La Revancha. Oh, okay, got it. Because I had the one for when worlds collide, and I know that was the biggest gate of 1994 at the LA Sports. That was Arena. ridiculous because that was uh, that was Love Machine and Eddie Guerrero losing their hair in one of the greatest matches ever to Octagon and Hijo del Santo who were two hugely over baby faces. And then I was in the main event in a cage match mm-hmm. against the idol of Mexico, Perro Aguayo, who I'd just turned on him. So people wanted to kill me. And the place was rabid because back then, if you remember in 94, maybe not because we were too young, yeah. but they came out with the, the 187 law. Okay. And that was basically a law to keep immigrants out of California and not give them health care. The same shit they're still doing now. So La Raza was super boiling. They're like, they were, they were going nuts that night. You know what I'm saying? And they, they wanted blood. 
and you know we gave them blood and then and they were happy and it was a great crowd you know and like today you don't see blood that much either no you don't you really don't is that something that turns you off if you see blood in a match no, I, I'm actually, I, I, I like it. I'm that person. Yeah. I, like, I, I don't watch too much of, like, deathmatch wrestling. But yeah. when I watch it, I very much yeah. enjoy it. And yeah. I, you know, like, I like what GCW does. I think that they do some pretty good stuff similar to that. And I, I enjoy it. It doesn't turn me off whatsoever. Uh, question number two. When you're not working or watching wrestling, how do you spend your time off? Uh, either... I read a lot, a lot, a lot. I'm a voracious reader. I probably, I don't know how many books I've read during this pandemic, um, but uh, I have a whole stack of books there. And I like to read everything from like wrestling to politics, to science fiction, to sports, to right now I'm reading this book about the history of business of hip hop. And, you know, I was reading like how wrestling started. There was stuff I never knew about. It was really interesting. And, the Mexican mafia. And so whatever piques my interest, I'm always reading and trying to inform myself. That's awesome. You should do a Goodreads account. Basically you put the books that you've read and you rate them and like you can share your profile and people can see like what books you're reading. That's pretty cool. Oh, that, I didn't even know that existed. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Uh, question number three, if you could have been the lead in any movie, which one would it have been? 1,000% Scarface, boom. <laughs> Question number four. What was your first impression out of the ring of Rey Mysterio Jr. and then after you saw him in the ring? The first time I saw him, I was like, who's this little girl? Because he looked like a girl. He was probably like 12. He had very rosy cheeks, okay? He had really long hair, okay? And he was very, very skinny. And he was still like not you know, like in that puberty phase where you couldn't really tell what he was, you know. And so, and then when I saw him in the ring, I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy's incredible. And it was very, very, very hard to convince anybody to use him because he was so small, so skinny, you know. And I remember I would take him to clubs in, uh, in Hollywood and you had to be like 18 years old to get in there. And I would bring him in there with me with a mask. And the guy was like, hey, you know, that, what's that kid doing in here? And I go, no, he's, he's a little person. And he, he, he's very offended that you're, you know, and then, oh, I'm sorry. And they would let him in. He would wrestle. And that same bartender would, after the match, go and take a picture of him and ask him for his autograph. And I remember thinking, I'd only been in the year one business, one year, Denise. And, and here's another thing you probably don't even know. I didn't grow up wanting to be a wrestler. I had no clue. I'd never seen Lucha Libre. I had no clue what I was doing. But I did know this kid right here was special. And every time everybody would tell me, hey, no, you can't use him, I go, you don't understand. Look at him. This guy's instant baby face. Everybody's bigger than him. Anybody that touches him, he's going to get sympathy. But not just that. Look at what he can do. So I was always like his biggest promoter, you know, and then psychosis came because psychosis was a whole nother story. Psychosis was real, real, real thin. He was so he was so shy. He wouldn't take off his shit in, in public. He was very introverted, you know, and but I knew they were going to be big, you know. Wow, that, that's so that's so cool. I, I just love hearing those stories. Uh, question number five, besides your own, what is your all-time favorite Lucha mask? Uh, there's a whole bunch of them, man. I like the Tinieblas one, but the red one, the red with the black thing, that looks super dope. He has a blue one with the thing like that. That's super dope. I like the Matematicos, which is pretty sweet. Because, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell you, I also like it because Matematico in Spanish means mathematician. So listen to how simple and cool this mask is. It's just a white mask. And since he's a mathematician, it's color, it's numbers in different colors. So a one, a five, or eight. I always thought that was so simple and cool. So I'm a big fan of that mask. Um, what's another mask that I like? Oh, I used to love Mil Mascaras had a, had a brother called Psicodelico. I don't know if you ever saw this mask. It looks like vertigo. Like it's a mask and it goes like that. Like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. Yeah. Oh, that looks dope. <laughs> I always used to like that. So um, I'm a big mask fan. There's a lot of ugly ones out there that I'm like, what are you doing? But uh, there's a lot of nice ones that I like. I like more the classic ones because they were simple. It's almost like I kind of like 
and this might be me, oh, you know, old man yelling at the clouds, but I like like the old school music because you had to have a singing voice and you had to play instruments. When you hear the music, you hear the instruments, you hear the voice. It's not overproduced. It's not auto-tune. It's not some synthetic BS, you know? And so that's how I like the mass. Back then, they were just simple. Now every mass has horns and like, wings and like, dude, what, what's going on here? You know what I'm saying? It looks like a banana split, like three <laughs> scoops of ice cream and fudge and a banana nuts and a cherry. It's like, what's going on here? Yeah. I get that. Oh, that's so What's cool. What's your favorite mask? Boom. You know, so I actually love the Love Machine one with the wow. red heart like, right here in the wow. center. That was I have my the, best friend. Yeah, I have I, I have I have the keychain. I have it put away because I and it was hard to find because you know how they have the little mask keychains yeah. everywhere? That one was very, very hard to find. Uh, that was my best friend. He was very, 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 very talented. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, and it was very. He had his story when I learned it was yeah. very uh, heartbreaking, but also very interesting to see a lot of the impact that he had in lucha libre. So when when I was sort of you know learning his story, I was easy, I was very captivated by it. Yeah, and then was, I just loved the whole character. And he was a larger than life guy, and he was, and that's why when and I'm sure you know this, when Eddie Guerrero does the frog splash it's in tribute to him. When Ray does it, it's in tribute to him. And when Dominic does it, it's in tribute to him. Yeah. That's incredible. I love it. Um, question number six, you spent a lot of time in Mexico. So what is your favorite Mexican dish? Um, anything that anybody buys me. Uh, let me see. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge taquero. So I nice. love, you know, like I like, uh, Tacos de tripa, you know, I like buche, I like suadero, I like, you know, uh, everything, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm a big taquero, you know. Yeah, like I'm, all the meats. Yeah, yeah. How about you? I like the carne asada and the chicken. I, I'm, I'm boring. I haven't tried the other ones. I'm too, I'm too intimidated. <laughs> oh, you'll love them, bro. You got to come to one of my shows one day. I'll invite you if you want to come because I bring people from LA all the time if you want to ride with I've them. I'm wanting to go, but you know, yeah. obviously there's the whole you're going to Mexico, so you got to be careful, sort of thing. And all. Uh, yeah, Mexico's cool. Well, now you know when the COVID opens yeah, up, but yeah. I'll tell you. And so what we do, so the because you know after the after the show. Um, the boys have to go and look for food at one in the morning, two in the morning. Sometimes they just go in their outfit because they don't have time to change. So what I do is I bring a taco guy to the dressing room and he makes fresh tacos right there. So nobody has to go anywhere. Everybody stays in the dressing room. You have a good camaraderie amongst everybody. We all eat together. We have a good time. There's a good bonding. There's a good union because to me, locker room chemistry is everything everything all you need is one or two bad apples and they destroy everything so um i'm gonna invite you one day and you'll have one of those tacos and you're gonna thank love you. it yes. thank you i've been wanting to i've never attended a wrestling show in mexico you know I who wrestles with me from la do you know viva van the girl uh, wrestler? i i know of her but i don't actually personally know her how about uh what's this guy's name danny what's his name the puerto rican guy He's in he's in the NJP dojo. Danny Lime, Danny Limelight. Danny Limelight. Yes, I just had him on the show a few a few months ago. Yeah, he comes down, you know, with another guy, Arrow Quest or Quest, Adrian Quest. Adrian you know Quest. Yes. Oh, he's he's really yeah. really. Yeah. They're they're I, both really great. Actually. Yeah, they're real good. So we use them a lot. You know, if you ever want to come up with that crew, you know what I'm saying. That would yeah. be awesome. Thank you so much. That'd be really yeah. cool. Um, question number seven: Have you ever had a job outside of wrestling? Um, yeah, but it wasn't a legal job. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I won't press for further details. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I was oh, in the military. Oh, okay. I was in the military for seven years. Yes. That would definitely count. Yes. Yeah. Uh, question number eight. What music artists are your most played on your playlist? Man, I have a very eclectic taste, so I'll do everything from, you know, I'll listen to something that's hot right now. Like, for example, I like that song, uh, uh, What's Poppin', the remix. That's tight. I like mm -hmm. that. I like that one by uh, Migos and a young boy. Uh, whatever that song is, that's bumping. So I'll listen to some new stuff, and then I'll listen to stuff. I like that one. This is very weird. Uh, 
Have you heard that song by Banda Recodo and Snoop Dogg? No. Which one is it? That's ridiculous. The only song they have together. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. It's, I'll it's look very, for it. It's very recent. So this is what I think happened. Okay. You know, when you go to Long Beach, Long Beach is a lot like Compton. A lot of people think it's just black. No, it's half black and half Mexican. Okay. So I think that I'm sure Snoop grew up in Long Beach hearing Banda everywhere because of all the Mexicans that are there. And I'm sure the Banda guys are hip hop when they were in Long Beach. They decided to make a song together and it's pretty dope. It's Banda Recodo and Snoop Dogg or as they call them, a Snoop Dogg. Because, you know, a Mexican can't say this without the E in front of it. Yes, yes. So I, I like that song. I like some banda too, by the way. Uh, and then, you know, now listen to old school hip hop, you know, whether it's Pac or Nas or Biggie or, you know, um, you know, I like, uh, I'm a huge fan of classic rock and roll. You know, I don't think that music that was done in the 70s, like Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones, like, that's incredible music. It really is. Never been duplicated. Yes. You like that type of stuff? I know a little bit of it, but I'm not like a heavy fan oh, of it. Oh, you you need to. Oh, I'm going to send you one of the shows that I do. Uh, it's called the music segment. And basically what I do is I'll pick my five favorite Led Zeppelin songs and I'll tell a little story about it. And then oh, nice. a, a fan that comes on with me, he picks his five. You should hear, oh, the music's ridiculous. It's incredible. But um, so I listen to everything, salsa, merengue, you know, Latin urban, Bad Bunny, Osuna, like all, the, all that stuff. Uh, and then I'll listen to old school, you know. So I listen to everything, anything and everything. I'm not a big fan of country, though. Oh, that one never, you never got into country, huh? There's always that one genre. Like we, I, I like to say, though, we listen to everything, but there's that one genre that we don't right. listen to. Yeah, well... <laughs> It's kind of hard because, you know, when you listen to country, you know, it's I can't relate to their stuff. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, hey, you know, my my, life, my wife left me and, you know, all that and drinking and all that. And so I, I so, you know, I just can't relate to it. That's it. Awesome. Question number nine. Who's your favorite person to travel with? Um, of all time, probably Ray. <laughs> Ray nice. Mysterio. Yeah. Awesome. And last question, question number 10. What's the nicest thing that you can say about Disco Inferno? Nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. <laughs> that is great. Uh, Conan, I want to thank you so much for doing this interview with me. I know I took up more of your time than I no, said. No, it's all good. But thank you so much for chatting with me today. Before we go, feel free to plug in anything you would like to plug in. Yeah, yo, check me out on uh, on um, uh, Twitter at K-O-N-N-A-N-5150, uh, uh, same on uh, Facebook. And then my podcast is called Keeping It 100 with Conan, and that's on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, we've been having record numbers on our Patreon, record numbers on subscriptions, and we discuss absolutely everything from pop culture to sports, the politics to we have segments where we read letters and we put music, and it's a really wild show, you know. So uh, check it out. You know, maybe bring you on there one day, Denise, and grill you. I would uh, love to. Instead of the other <laughs> way around. And uh, and like I said, it's I'm very happy we got a Latina in the game, a Thank girl you. in the game, and uh, continued success. And I'm sure we're going to keep running into each other. You work with my boy, too, Kevin Kleinrock, right? Yes. Oh, my God. He's been incredible. He just gives me so many opportunities. And I'm just yeah. like, thank you. Yeah, he's a great, great guy who's helped a lot of people, and a lot of people don't know that. No, he's amazing. Yes. Uh, Conan, thank you so much for everything. Guys, make sure to check out. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and post all of the links in the description box so you guys can check out everything. And then also do not forget to give this video a like and subscribe to the channel for more. Until next time, we'll see you guys later. Bye, everyone. Peace. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please don't forget to leave me a super nice review and a five-star rating. Plus, make sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Denise Salcedo for funny wrestling, commentary, guest updates, silly live stuff, and more.